This is Hunting Land, the podcast for land hunters and landowners with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-tos for habitat management and land investment. I'm Joe Bayer. I'm here with Clint Flowers and Clint. Well, waterfowl migration reports, I guess we're done with those. It's always kind of a bittersweet time of year because the guys who are really out there hard after it are, uh, they're pretty tired of hunting right now. We, Alabama and it's got a long season and uh, we got the last weekend of the season coming up. So this will be kind of the last rut report for a while. I don't know about you. I, end of every season, I kind of feel that same way. I'm usually kind of a little bit burned out, but at the same time, usually like two weeks later, I'm, I'm kind of like, man, I wish hunting season wasn't over with. Yep. We're going to roll into fishing season and turkey season. Yeah, that's the only uh, that's the saving grace is I, I get hard after those turkeys. I look forward to talking with some guys uh, as we get a little closer to March and April. Man, if we have a turkey season like we've had a deer season, uh, we're in for an exciting spring. How'd you guys do? I mean, how, how do you feel like your season went? I mean, it could always be worse. So the main thing that, that I've enjoyed is just the opportunity to get out there. And as long as you can chase them, you know, it's, it's always a good day. But I feel like we had a, a, a good season. I think the acorn crop anchored our big bucks down for a while for a lot of the season. Uh, just with all this rain, there was a, you know, just a bumper crop across all species of oaks. and They just didn't have to move much at the beginning part of the season. Then finally, once they did, we've seen a lot of deer. We've not seen the high percentage of mature deer that we usually do. And a little disappointed in that, but my son's had a good time. And, and as long as he does, I do. Well, yeah, this is the time of year when we start to think about, I start to think about habitat management a lot more. I need, I need that excuse to get back out there. Uh, if I can't go hunting, I need, I need a reason to be there. It's a, a good time of year to do some things uh, around your property that you can't do other times of year or you shouldn't do other times of the year. And so today we are going to be talking with Alan Deese and Alan's the owner of the wildlife group, which is a nursery for all types of trees and shrubs that deer and turkeys and quail benefit from. And he's just got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to planting trees and different shrubs that are available. Uh, they, they sell a ton of trees. So today we are going to answer the question, what do deer eat as it relates to trees and shrubs? You know, Alan, I, I kind of think of you as a, the tree whisperer when it comes to habitat management. Is this the time of year, Alan, when we really need to be thinking about planting trees? Well, it is. Actually, we're starting to get into the late part of the season about, you know, as far as planting. You know, I like for people to have all their trees in the ground, uh, you know, by the end of February, at least by the end of March, uh, with spring getting here. So actually I love for people to plan earlier. Uh, I try to put our catalog with all our tree species and everything that we offer in people's hands about September of every year. Mm -hmm. That's when a lot of people are planting their food plots and out on their properties. So yeah, this is a great time because trees are dormant and we're in the, in the winter months, but you know, like a potted, potted plant material, I love for people to start planting in November. The earlier you get it in the ground, the better chance you got it coming out in spring and doing great for you. So we're, we're looking at really folks need to be thinking about November to February planting trees. Or is it the same with the various shrubs, things like beautyberry or maybe a strawberry bush? Is, is it the same thing with shrubs or is it a different time of year? Well, it, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, what you got to keep in mind is it's not like we're planting in our yard where we can irrigate and take care of things. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, by getting stuff in the ground in that fall, winter time frame, you know, when a lot of the plants are dormant or going dormant in the fall, uh, they actually get in the ground and they get all these beneficial rainfall that we get, you know, all winter. And then, you know, especially in the southeast, you get these warm spells like we're having right now where you actually get root development. Because anytime that soil temperature gets up a little bit, you get root development, even though it's during the winter, even though that tree isn't growing that root is developing. So by getting them in the ground during this, this, you know, this good time frame, you stand a really good chance of those plants coming out and thriving during the spring and summer. Let's talk about choosing a site. We've kind of established that now is the late part of the season as far as planting trees, but let's maybe break it down into hard mass and soft mass. Uh, when you're looking at a, at a site, what do you want to look for so that we can really in, uh, do the best for the type of tree that, that we're planting? Well, as far as soft mass goes, typically you're looking for a well-drained site, okay? pH is important, just like it is for a food plot. You know, you get your apples, your crab apples and stuff like that. They're going to like a anywhere from a six to a six and a half, you know, to a six, eight, somewhere in there. Uh, pears, you know, they can, they can fluctuate and they can grow in different types of soils actually with a little bit moisture so you know a little more moisture in there and or they can grow up upland sites with lower ph so pears are really easy to grow persimmons like a good well-drained soil even though you see them in bottomlands and stuff if you notice most of the time they're around little sandier spots where they get good drainage so but you know with fruit trees you're looking for drainage uh ph oak trees can be very site specific as far as, you know, like a regular native white, it likes an upland site with a acidic pH of a 5.5, five, somewhere in there. And then some of the other oaks, like nut all oaks, which is a real good late drop uh, red oak, which is dropping actually right now, this time of the year, those can grow in, you know, your lower land sites where you have some flooding, occasional flooding. That's actually a great duck tree. So, you know, picking the right sites for the right, you know, in the right trees, is uh very important and i can go into all the different varieties of where they like to grow like a chinkapin oak which is a white oak variety uh, which actually produces in five to eight years it likes a little bit higher ph soil which is an alkaline soil that it can grow well in a six five up to about an eight so it like it can grow in prairie soils where a lot of trees can't handle that type of soil so yeah i mean it's very important to pick the right sites for your trees and get plenty of sunlight it sounds like a, a just like with a food plot, uh, a soil test would would be beneficial uh, when it comes to selecting a site. Very beneficial. I mean, you know, if you're doing it out there for your habitat, for your wildlife, like let's just say, you know, I, what I try to encourage people to do is, you know, two or three ways. Um, you know, one project where we do what we call a permanent plot, where you can. You know, if it's, it, it don't have to be a large area. Sometimes it can be four or five acres where you plant two to three acres of trees and leave two acres for your summer and winter plantings. And then a lot of times what I encourage people to do, and I know I've had it on my property where I may end up having too many food plots where I've got these little plots beside the road and just stuff that are open areas that I tend to bush hog and plant just because they're there. Where, you know, what I've done is I've backed down on some of those spots and tried to more centrally locate my winter and summer plots that I, you know, put my annuals in. And then I'll go in with some of these other plots and I'll make them tree plots, 
you know, where I go in and put, it can be a small, you know, a, a pear orchard or a, or a mix of pears and crab apples and apples and persimmons, just depending on how big the area is. But it don't take a big area to make a nice spot, especially, you know, for bow hunting, because you can put six pears in there or six crab apples and have good fruit from, you know, September, October, November great bow hunting spots with just six to eight trees, you know? So that's an interesting concept to me. Uh, the, you know, the, the fruit plot, the tree plot, is it, is it realistic to think that you could combine hard mast and soft mast in a, in an area that you wanted to hunt? And like you were talking about that nut all oak dropping right now, you know, potentially if you, if say, if, say if I, you know, folks got in touch with you and, and kind of designed a spot, that they could have hard mast and soft mast throughout the hunting season? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, it, it'll take a little room, you know, but without a doubt, you can have that. I mean, you know, you could have, you know, for instance, uh, chestnuts and sawtooths that drop in September, October, and then you could have, you know, all your other varieties planted in there with fruit, nuts, and everything all the way up to this time of the year where you've got nut alls that actually drop in this January, February time frame. There's Sounds no question like about it. The land of fruit and nuts. That's where Clint comes from. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, I know where if, it is. if you think, <laughs> yeah. And if you think about it, you know, if you, if you think about it, you know, you spend a lot of money every year. And I know I do on, you know, your food plots. And, you know, the, the winter plots are great because they attract the deer in. Your summer plots are awesome because they actually provide a lot of food. Well, you know, you, you spend a lot of money on that every year. And I'm just like everybody else. I do the same thing. But, you know, and then you look at it like with trees and you think, well, you know, these trees can be expensive. You know, they can. But if you plant them, you're talking about planting them once and giving them some care for a year. And then basically you would go in and spray around the bases a little bit, keep the weeds down and bush hog. You know, if you want to keep the plot up nice, if not, after that three to four year time frame, you can basically, you know, just let it go. It makes sense to me, you know, to have some of these what I call fallow areas that people don't really use like they should to put these trees in. And then, you know, there's a lot of reforestation stuff too. It isn't just that, but you know, we do a lot of, you know, big reforestation projects and stuff too. But it's, I just think that, you know, people could benefit greatly by making these little plots and some big plots and areas where it's something more permanent that you're not having to plant and spend money on that much money on every year. So. Alan, how old are the trees? that you sell generally on the hard and soft mass, how old are they once they get to the landowner? Well, it just depends on what you want. Uh, we've got them from a year old, which are the seedlings. All of them are bare root seedlings, you know, and, and, uh, and then we've got them up to about three, typically, which is a seven to a 15 gallon plant. We do do bigger. Most people can't handle the bigger ones. So I try to stay around a seven to a 15 on the larger stuff. The seven gallon is a real popular, the three and the seven gallon are real popular sizes just because they're easy to handle. And you've got a tree that's a little bit established that you can go on and put out there. But we sell thousands and thousands of bare root plants. You take the bare root trees and put them out there and protect them with a five foot planter tree tube. And you'll be amazed at what those plants will do. It's interesting. You talk about those trees paying dividends down the line. And I hear a lot of guys that, that, are hunting leased ground uh, or they're in a hunting club and and one of their objections for planting trees or planting hard or soft mast is well i don't own land you know so why would i do that uh but 
the the reality is that, like you said, you're planting a food plot anyway, uh, and most guys are going to hunt a, a club or a lease ground. They're going to have it for years, for the most part. If you've got a yep. spot that that you know you're going to be hunting and you like and you want to stay a, be a part of, seems like you know planting those those uh, tree plots is going to like you said, it's, it may be an expense on the front end, but it's going to pay those dividends down the line. I just, I just really like the idea of that and also having different variety of, of vegetation to hunt over as opposed to always having just those annual food plots. And let's talk a little bit, you know, you, you, you hit on the different, a lot of different types of trees and shrubs that you've got, hard mass, soft mass shrubs, different things like that. And selecting a site as it relates to soils, topography, light, you know, water, whether it's well-drained or not well-drained. But what about prepping a site? Is there anything in particular that we need to do if, if we, decide, we decide, okay, I'm going to put some tree, a tree plot here? Uh, is there anything that, that needs to be done before that can happen? You can do as much as you want, basically. You can go out and get your soil test, plow your soil, you know, get it tilled, uh, get all your weed competition down and go in and plant. That's obviously ideal because you're eliminating all of your problems potentially, which would be your weeds and, you know, everything when you're coming out in spring, plus getting your pHs right in your soil. Uh, it'd make it easy to plant. Um, you don't have to do all that. I mean, you know, if you pick your site and you're, you know, and it's well drained and you, you know, you got your stuff matched up pretty good, what you want to plant in there. I mean, it's just as simple as going in there and digging a hole. If you know that you're in acidic soil, you're pretty sure you are, or if you've got, you know, a sandy, well-drained soil, typically that's going to be acidic. You can always add lime to the hole where you plant the tree, around the tree. You know, all trees don't need it. You know, like like I said, like pears, they don't typically need a, a real high pH. Um, a lot of your oak trees, they like acidic soil. Uh, chestnuts like acidic soil. You hit on something important there, and, and so I want to ask you a little bit more about pH. Mm-hmm. As, it, as it relates to the tree, you know, when we think about doing a food plot, most of the time we're getting uh, ag lime and we're spreading it by the ton. Uh, when, yeah. we're, when we're putting trees in the ground, is there any, uh, I say rule, you know, like uh, if you've got a pH, say 6.5, there's a certain amount of ag lime that you're going to add per acre to try to raise that pH to the, to the level that you want. When it comes to planting it at the base of a tree, is there are there any rules of thumb out there that can help someone if they know they got a acidic soil and they're trying to raise that that pH some? How do they find out how much lime to put out, and what's the best kind of lime? Would you use a dolomitic lime, or what? What, what do you like to use? Yeah, just regular egg lime. I mean, you know, they got the fast acting granules and stuff they say out there now. I'm not convinced that all that's that quick. I mean, typically you go looking at six months before that lime really starts making the difference in your soils. And as far as guessing on what you're doing, you are just guessing. I mean, typical rates are, you know, two tons per acre on a 5.5 soil to get it up to a 6.5. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you're not having doing your soil test and you are just guessing, so if you're doing it around a tree, again, you know, typically if I'm adding lime around a tree when I'm planting, it's something like a, an apple, maybe a crab apple or something. If you're planting it, you can add like a cup full to the soil that you're mixing, or you can put five or 10 pounds on the top of soil around it. It's not going to hurt the tree. It's going to do nothing but help it if you do have a, 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 you know, really acidic soil. So, I mean, there is no real rule of thumb on that unless you've got an actual pH test. 
you know, not unless you had your soil test done. So, right. You hit earlier on this time of year being the best time of year to plant, uh, because those trees are, are dormant. Is there anything that you do to, to prep the, the root mass before you put it in the ground? Yeah. Well, i tell you what we do here for you. Like if you buy trees from us, we try to pull them sometimes the day of at least a day or two before, you know, because we have to get the orders ready, obviously. But if we pull the trees, we always heal them back in, which that means we have a trench dug. We'll pull your order. We'll put it in the ground. We'll cover it back up with soil and water it, water it in to keep the roots moist. Hmm. That's your biggest concern during the winter months is you don't really have to worry about the tree above ground itself. You just got to worry about your root system drying out. As long as you keep it moist, it's good. But once we pull your order to ship it, we'll put it in a, we have a big vat. We have a product called Moisturizer, which is uh, like little water crystals that once they're wet, they activate and they swell. And it looks like ice. If you've messed with pine trees, a lot of people have probably seen it. It's kind of slimy. But we'll have it in a vat. We dip our roots in it. We have root. Uh, growth hormones that we actually add to that water so when you get a tree you know a lot of times well from us all the time it will be dipped in that moisturizer product and that root growth hormone so you're already getting all that added to it now there's stuff you can add to your soil like there's a 303 bio nutrition that we offer that's an organic plant that's an organic stuff it's just a powder that you actually put into the ground and it helps a lot. I typically don't encourage people to add fertilizer. Uh, people tend to add too much or they put it in the hole right on the root system. And a lot of times that'll burn your root system up and kill your tree. And it will, you know, it'll come out in the spring like it's doing great. Then it'll die and they think it's something that, you know, something else that killed it when typically it's the fertilizer. That's why I encourage people don't fertilize when they plant. Wait until typically around the 1st of March. Uh, sometimes according to what you're doing, I don't want you to fertilize it all the first year. Just let it, just keep your plant alive. And then that second year, which would be, you know, the following February 1st of March, then you come back and fertilize your tree. But if you're getting plenty of rainfall, you know, and you feel like you can water your tree and you're good, then you can add a little bit of fertilizer to it, the top of the ground around the tree and not right at the base of the tree, you know, 12 to about 12 inches from the base. So you were talking, you know, back to those three and, and was it a seven gallon is your, is the different sizes. So you're saying that, you know, people like those a lot because they can handle them. That's right. And when it comes to different types of trees, are there different planting depths for every, every different type of tree or is it pretty standard? You know, you're going to put them X amount into the ground Uh, when you go to plant. Well, a potted plant is pretty standard. You want to plant the potted plant, the soil that comes in the pot, the top of that soil, you want it about an inch above ground level. Okay. Right. A lot of people make a bad mistake of trying to plant that thing perfectly level. Or a lot of people make a mistake of thinking that if they plant a little low, that it'll actually catch the water runoff down there. Well, what happens is, is that plant has been living in the, in that pot for a long time. And so it's getting the oxygen and stuff from the top of that soil where it is. You take that thing and you plant it too deep into the ground, below ground level, it'll suffocate that plant and it'll kill it. People do it all the time. Ground level is ideal, you know, but inevitably everybody digs a hole that's a little bit too deep. Then they plant it, then it gets some good water on it, and the plant will drop below ground level. And what you'll see is, is your plant will sit there 
it'll either just sit there and not grow. And you're like, man, something's wrong with it. You're not getting any growth out of it. It'll be three years. It's just not growing. That'll happen. Or two or three years down the road, it'll just die. That seems like a really simple thing, but uh, it's funny to hear that you, you know, people make that mistake a lot. And and I could see, I mean, I would make that mistake. It's just something you, I wouldn't, as a, a lay person, I would just think, Hey, what does it really matter? You know, they have a saying that says planet high, watch it grow, planet low, watch it die. Huh? So that's important. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk about planting trees and different shrubs that are available that deer, turkeys, and quail benefit from. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. Again, that's landhunting.com, no G, slash go to get the series. And we're back. Today we are talking with Alan Deese. Alan's the owner of the Wildlife Group, which is a nursery for all types of trees and shrubs. Let's talk about, we've got that tree in the ground and we've got everything up to this point. What about protecting the tree? Uh, Obviously, like you said, we're planting this out on our land. We're not there every day to be able to irrigate it, but we're also not there every day to be able to to protect it. So what do we need to do? And does it change by by tree to make sure that the the wildlife and uh, are there any other things that would potentially harm that tree? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like for any bare root, tree that you plant you know i strongly suggest using a five foot tree too and uh, you know a lot of people know about them a lot of people don't but you can plant a 12 inch ceiling in a five foot tube and and you know everybody says you're going to cover it all the way up yes cover it all the way up generally in one year you'll get the tree will grow out of the top of that tube and it'll grow out for several reasons uh one is because it grows to the light like it's in a forested environment where it's just trying to grow to the sunlight that's coming through the top of that tube all right so it's going to grow really fast and tall two you can spray around it and keep the weed competition back and that's probably one of the most limiting factors is weed competition grasses will take all the the nutrients the water and everything from that root system and really slow that tree's growth down and the third thing is deer i mean if you're taking any care of a tree a small tree like that Deer are going to come by and they're going to browse on it. And every time they come by, that little top shoots out, they bite the top out of it. And that cuts it back down. It slows it. Every time it'll shoot out something new, they come by and bite it. And then it also makes it visible. You know, a lot of, how many times you plant a tree out there and you, you just can't find it? You know, there's other stuff right. growing and you don't know where you planted it. You say, I think I planted it here, but I don't see it. So it makes it visible. You can spray around it, take care of it. And then if you've got friends like mine, that don't know how to drive a bush hog and they run over <laughs> that tree too, then you know, they don't need to be on a bush hog. <laughs> and you know, or you know how you much know? to charge them. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of benefit to a tree too. Now, and, and that's for bare root trees, basically anything or three gallon trees, anything that's, you know, four or five foot down, that's a great product to use. If you plant a three gallon tree and it's got little limbs on it, you can hold the limbs in your hands, put it over the top. Or you can prune the limbs off and put it over the top. Whichever you prefer, it's not going to bother the tree. And once you get into a seven-gallon tree or something larger, you know you can get a trunk protector, which is basically just a piece of heavy corrugated plastic 
that you just pop around the trunk. And what that'll do is it'll basically just deters the deer from rubbing the tree with his horns. Mm. It's not going to protect the limbs or anything else. And if a big buck comes in there and wants it, it's not going to stop that. He's going to destroy it. That's just what bucks do. You know, so at that size, you know, if you were really wanting to protect it, you would probably end up putting a, you know, a little wire enclosure around it, you know, a four foot circular wire enclosure with a T post driven in the ground, you know, just to keep the deer completely off of the bigger trees. We, you know, when you think about losing trees, you were talking about folks planting it too far into the ground. That could kill the tree. You know, you're talking about wildlife browsing the tree down. That could kill the tree or the shrub. When, when, when a guy's planting, let's say I've decided I'm going to plant my tree plot, do I need to factor for losing some trees? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I lose trees. I mean, I have people call me every day and say they planted 20 trees and they lost two. And, you know, I'll tell them that you did better than I did, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it's, it, there is no, I guess there is no magic to it other than, you know, rain and fighting your weed competition and trying to keep the deer from killing them in the wildlife, you know? Right. And that could be, yeah, you're going to lose some. I, I wouldn't, I would expect anybody that's planting trees that are doing it right. And like we recommend to have 80% survival or better. Okay. Um, Obviously, if you know, there are lit factors that, you know, things could happen, you know, I mean, like we're talking about deer could get it. You know, one of the biggest things that happens to trees are people just forget about them. They'll plant them and then they go out there in the spring and they look at them and they're like, wow, these things are greening up. They got leaves on them. They're beautiful. And they're all excited, you know, because the trees are growing. Well, that's not summer, you know. And so you get into June, you know, July you're still really not in the summer. You're still probably getting decent rain. When most people lose trees are August, September, and October. Because that's summer. That's when it always gets dry and it gets 100 degrees. Mm. And people tend to forget about them that late in the year because they've been out there and looked at them early and they're thinking, man, they're doing great. They're living. And then they come back out there in September getting ready to plant their food plots and they got dead trees. And that's when you lose them is that late summer. So what can you do? What can you do when we get one of those? This year uh, was not one of those years, but when we get one of those years where we we know we're we're in a drought, you know, especially like you talk, October is always historically a really dry month uh, unless we get a storm that blows through or something like that. If you know you're dry in dry conditions, is there anything you can do to help your trees right then and there? Water. That's it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of products like we offer that product called Moisturizer, which we dip our trees in. It's just a little granular. It don't take but about a teaspoon into the hole. When that stuff gets wet, it activates in the soil, and it helps hold moisture in the ground. Now, if there is some moisture in the ground, that's not going to help, you know. Mm-hmm. But when it rains on it, it'll grab that moisture, and it'll hold it. So two to three weeks after that, it'll it'll keep that soil good and moist down there hoping that we get another rain in that two to three week time frame. So it makes that big of a difference, which is a big difference. A lot of times and it'll carry you through, you know, other things you can do is, you know, like I said, water, but the biggest mistake a lot of people make with water is, is even if they've got a tank or, or whatever, they'll go out there and they'll get five gallons of water and they pour it on the tree, which you're doing more damage than good by just pouring water on a tree. Because what happens is, even if you did it once a week, if you just go out there with a five-gallon bucket and pour it on the ground, that water's only getting in the ground about an inch, and it's running off. 
So what that causes is your root system to stay close to the top of the ground, which is going to make your tree weak. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to water your trees, you want to try to deep water them, which means you want a slow trickle on that tree. Like if you want to give them five minutes of water, you know, you can figure out how much water you're giving in five minutes. Just turn your water hose on, put it in a five gallon bucket and time it real slow, you know, Mm -hmm. and say, all right, it takes me five minutes to give this thing uh, five gallons of water at this rate. And that way you can time it like that. I've seen people get five gallon buckets and drill pinholes in the bottoms and set them at the base of the tree and go out and just fill the bucket up and have a top on it. So you don't get leaves and debris in it to stop the bows up. And then that way, those little hose just let it drip out to the tree. But those are the way, you know, you want to water that tree system deep. If you do it like that, when it gets real dry, if it's real bad dry, where we don't get rain for two months and you did it once a week, you know, you your trees would live. Pro- you make it get by with twice a week if you use moisturizer and other products in your hole at planting. Alan, what are your most uh, drought-resistant trees and shrubs? The first year, it's, it's just tough on all of them. Uh, probably fruit tree wise pears are very easy to grow and tend to really handle stress good. As far as oak trees and stuff go, uh, you know, your sawtooth and your chestnuts like good well-drained soil. They, so they can tend to get by some of your lower land trees. Um, if it gets really bad dry that first year, it can be rough on those, but realistically that first year, if it gets bad, you know, you get into a two or three month drought you're going to have a rough time with about everything that you're planting. So that first year is important. And weed mats are very good. Like if you can put a weed mat down around your tree, you know, spraying is great because you kill your weeds, but weed mats suppress them. Plus it holds, weed mats hold moisture under your mat so that you actually, you know, it, it keeps more moisture under there. When that sun hits it during the day, it don't dry out up under that weed mat as much. So they're important. You know, you're talking about those weed mats. It just makes me think about ground cover. When you talk about food plots, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, science right now and a lot of folks are experimenting and, and using no-till methods to try to, you know, keep that, that layer, keep something in the topsoil planted year-round. And, you know, they just, you can do the research and see that, when you've got some kind of ground cover, your soil temperatures are much lower and it holds more moisture uh, with more organic material. So when you plant a tree, uh, you're talking about trying to keep those weeds out. Is there, besides a weed mat, I mean, is there anything that you want to do as far as on the, on the top of the soil to help that tree? Is there any kind of ground cover besides that, that weed mat that you'd, you'd want to do or something else to plant alongside it? Well, I mean, I've had people plant do clover in their fields and that helps because then you can come in and just take care of your grasses uh you can obviously mulch around them with pine straw or mulch any type of mulch i've had people use hay uh you know anything that you just throw around them anything to suppress the weeds and hold moisture in there is going to help you can use as far as weeds you know i mean People spray Roundup. As long as you keep it off the tree, it's fine. I, if you're planting a potted plant, I try to keep it off of the root ball, the top of the root ball. But you can mix a pre-emergent with your Roundup, and that should take care of your weeds for typically most of the summer, just depending on what product you use. I tend to lean more towards a weed mat or uh, some type of mulch, pine straw or something, uh, just because you're not adding that chemical to the soil right there around your tree. But you know, Well, it sounds like the first year is really important. 
and you know getting these trees to take what about upkeep so we got our tree plot in and trees are growing everything's going well what's it going to take you know say on an annual basis how how many trips am i going to make to the hunting camp to take care of my trees and what do i need to do well i mean the great thing about most of your stuff is it it you know it requires a winter pruning and stuff you know if you're going to be pruning on if you got fruit trees you want to prune or anything it's going to be during the winter when you're down there hunting anyway so i try to get, encourage people you know especially in in our area you know in the southeast area you know with our hunting season december's always kind of slow even if you're in georgia or if you're in alabama or the florida area you know anywhere like that i mean december's kind of slow it's after the rut in georgia and it's before the rut in alabama so that's when I like to get a lot of my work done is during December. So you can go out and do the little bit of pruning you need on your fruit trees uh, and just cleaning them up, really. Uh, the summer stuff, once you get into spring, if you've got apples and, and crab apples and stuff, I mean, it's important in February to spray like a dormant fruit tree oil on them. And that's an easy thing to do. It takes no time, very inexpensive, and it suppresses a lot of your insects and stuff that would carry over in your trees. So, I mean, it's not a ton, it, you know, when you get into a lot of maintenance, it's if you were, say, growing apples and you were wanting them beautiful like you buy in the store, hmm. then that's when you get into a big spray program where you're really having to take care of them. And so the apple's actually pretty. If you're doing it for wildlife, it's, you know, you just want to keep the trees alive and as healthy as possible. Well, Alan, man, I feel like I've learned a heck of a lot today. I actually got a, a persimmon and a and a fig, I got to get in the ground here pretty soon. I feel like I know exactly what to do, but inevitably, uh, there's there's a lot more to this that, that folks may want to know. And uh, so if they want to get in touch with you and, and ask you some questions about planting trees on their property uh, or maybe selecting a site or selecting the types of trees they, they would want to get, uh, what's the best way for them to get in contact with the wildlife group? They can call us at 800-221-9703. And that's our office number. If they want to, you know, they can email me at Allen, A-L-L-E-N, at wildlifegroup.com. And I'll be glad to answer any questions. And we also have a website, which is just wildlifegroup.com. We, you can buy products off of our website. we got all kind of information on there. And then our Facebook page is awesome because I've got tons of videos, tons of pictures, a lot of customer stuff on there. So, I mean, you know, if you just want to look around and see what we got, go to Facebook, go to our webpage. If you got questions, just email or give me a shout, brother. I'll be glad to help you all anyway. And I was going to tell you one more thing, Joe. You mentioned lease property a while ago. Mm-hmm. If you're leasing property from hunting, from landowners, man, go to that landowner and tell them what you're wanting to do. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that I've encouraged them to go talk to the landowner. And the landowner actually paid for the trees and they planted them. And it's on lease property. But it's benefiting the landowner. So yeah, I just want to throw that out there real quick. Oh, that's a that's a great point to bring up. Is uh, it can benefit both sides and and give you some good hunting in the process. Well, yeah, it makes your landowner happy too if you're wanting to do something to improve his property. So you know, it, it helps all the way around. So yeah, hopefully help you main uh, keep that lease for a little little bit longer it, if he knows you're taking yeah. care of the place. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's Alan Deese with the Wildlife Group. Alan, have a safe year, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys. Thank you all so much for having me. Thanks, Alan. All right, Clint. What kind of trees are you going to put on your property now? Well, knowing my 
history with taking care of stuff, it sounds like pears are the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> they seem to be the closest to plant it and forget it because I get so much T-ball and everything else going on throughout the year that it's just it's tough to remember to get up there and, and take care of things. So, But I'm always looking for another excuse to go to the camp too, so I might need to pick I'm up not, some diversity. I'm just yeah. trying to figure out who I'm going to get to dig the hole for me. Because uh, me and post hole diggers, I don't know. I've got a love hate relationship with those things. But uh, you know, he was talking a little bit about mortality rate of, of the trees. How does that relate back to to timber? Uh, do you see same kind of thing when when somebody's doing say plantation pines? Yeah, uh, I I think twenty percent may be a little high when you're talking in a plantation setting, but I'd say definitely around ten percent. Uh, in a stand is typically lost to not necessarily always mortality, but it could be a lack of production from a creek bottom drain, uh, roads, et cetera. But this is another reason why we, we talked about stocking a lot. Uh, you want to make sure that the property was adequately stocked to begin with because there's natural mortality that's just going to happen. And you want to make sure that if it happens on a higher than normal scale, that you've still got an adequately stocked stand that you can grow out through its full rotation which is financial lifetime and not something that you're going to have to just scratch and start over well what about you know when i think about these fruit trees we're putting something in the ground where obviously we're making an investment because it's going to be a few years before we start to bear fruit so to speak you know when it comes to uh marketing a piece of property do you find that buyers are more attracted when they they go on to a piece of property and they see something there that that they know takes years to, to develop something like, you know, a, 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 I'm just thinking about what Alan was saying about a tree plot. Boy, I, I mean, if I went onto a property and I walked into an area and I saw a bow stand sitting there and I looked around and there was three different types of fruit trees and three different types of hard mass that, that, that were going to bear fruit throughout the entire hunting season. I mean, I, I would just get excited as a, as a hunter. How do you see when folks really pay attention to diversity in their landscape. Does it make a property just that much more marketable? It does. I mean, it's it's great to be able to really see that, like you said, to see the diversity in action, but also be able to go out and hunt different setups. You know, you know that this time of year, I'm going to go hunt the pear orchard and this time of year, I'm going to go uh, sit in the sawtooth and, and just, you know, really be able to change a property up that may not be that big of a track, but because it's so diverse in food sources, uh, and, and different habitat and food types, it's just, it's really nice just to have that turnkey aspect to diversity. I mean, we all know it's possible. We all know you can plant these things, but when you can walk right into it and start enjoying it, there's just that much more equity in it for a seller when you're trying to attract that qualified buyer. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Folks, we want to hear from you. So email us at pros at landhunting.com. Got a show idea or a question you want us to ask? Just email us at pros at landhunting.com. We'll see you next week.